Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of James again. And uh, I hope that you're not thinking at this point, James has no end. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, I'm going I'm to speak on a subject that may um, sound a little, a little shallow given my audience here this evening. But I think there's something... Um, powerful that is that is released when we speak God's word. I remember uh, telling Brother Everett and Sister Cricket when they were beginning the church in Madison that if you go and no one is there, you still preach because it's not about people or heads, so to speak. It's about declaring the word of God. And um, so tonight, I know you've been standing for a moment. I'm just going to ask you to bear with me for a moment uh, more. Friday night of our general conference, Brother uh, Bernard preached a great message. But in that message, he uh, shared something that he had been invited to a gathering of of, um, church leadership that wanted to discuss the subject of holiness. Now, when we think about holiness, we are probably sort of looking through a certain prism of that because we have been, for the most part, raised in a conservative atmosphere. But we need to understand that this was holiness in the broadest of terms, or the broadest sense. And uh, they had invited Brother Bernard there. Maybe some of you watched the service then or, or watched it later But he said that some of the leadership of major organizations was was asking him and sharing with him that it had been so long since the subject of holiness had been broached in their camps until the leaders of their, not just their churches, but the leaders of some of their organizations no longer even saw the necessity of husbands or men and women being married. That ought, to, that ought to create a wow in us. And my point is this, is that you don't have to preach for something or against something. You can just stop talking about it. And after a while, things begin to encroach. And so tonight, um, you may think that as we get started here, and I'm trying to build too big of a platform here, but I want to talk about the power of truth and the power of honesty. And, and you know, given my audience tonight, it would probably seem more fitting if I were looking at a group of thugs. 
but I'm not. But it's in the word. So let's talk about it. And let's release the power of the word. He said to Ezekiel, to dry bones, just prophesy to the wind. And so tonight, I want to just underline with the help of the Lord and with the help of James this evening and uh, let the Spirit of God touch us. A little bit difficult for me to talk about James because my wife was engaged to a young man by the name of James when we started dating. I've kind of, I've had to push through a little bit of this talking about James so much. See, I've had some mountains to climb you didn't even know anything about. And uh, she wasn't really engaged, but they were, they were talking about engagement. But uh, thank God I won. Amen. The book of You Know Who, chapter 5 and verse number 12. <laughs> the Bible says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be yea, lest you fall into condemnation. So I want to talk about the power of truth. And I understand that ought to blanket our very step. And every breath that we breathe, that ought to encompass who we are. But let's just talk about it anyway. What do you say? Amen. God, we love you today and thank you for the help that I already feel today in this house. Thank you for standing by me. I'm undeserving of your help, but I know I need it tonight. And I ask you to be my strength and to touch all of our hearts and help us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. I want to break this one scripture down into about maybe four parts or so. And and hopefully we can walk away, even if we don't walk away with a greater understanding of the power of truth and honesty, maybe we can walk away with a greater appreciation for it. Because if you've ever dealt with someone that didn't know how to tell the truth and did not know how to operate honorably, then you obviously would understand the importance of just someone telling the truth. In talking about truth and honesty and things of that nature, I've often said that across the court, across our nation and the courts of our land, every day, multiple times a day, there is one simple request at the court of the court, and that is to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And we can just only imagine how simplified life would become if people would just walk in that door and tell the truth. And the billions of dollars that would be saved and the countless lives that could be assisted by not having to go down through some of the grueling paths that we have to walk just over dishonesty. And so I, I hope we will just walk away maybe with a greater appreciation. So I, I just ask you to and beg you in the name of the Lord, don't, please don't disconnect because you're not a liar. Because you don't ever know when you're going to be tempted to. Amen. And it, it could be before the stroke of midnight you may be tempted to do something dishonest, say something dishonest. And so James just forthrightly addresses the subject of honesty. And again, I just want to underline that James, the letter of James is not to a group of sinners, but he is addressing the church. And uh, so I pray that the Lord will help us today because we are certainly, I think we would agree, living in an hour where truth is getting harder and harder to come by. 
and um, fallen humanity is just entrenched by the sin of this world and the deception of this world. Uh, everywhere you turn, uh, there there is a valley or an avenue of dishonesty. Children lie to their parents, but parents lie to their children. And uh, that's that's the world we live in. Husbands lie to their wives and wives lie to their husbands. People lie to their employers uh, who in turn uh, many times just lie to the public. Politicians lie to get elected and lie to stay elected. And uh, people lie to government most often, cheating uh, things like income tax returns and things of that nature. We think, well, what difference does it make? Well, it makes a big difference because the Lord is looking down on all of this. And so uh, educators lie. I'm not su- suggesting that all of these people do, but educators lie, scientists lie, members of the media lie. Everywhere we turn, we find uh, this layer of dishonesty. Sadly, our our society is built on the framework of of untruths. That's just where we are today. It's That's the world that we live in. And so it leads us to wonder what would happen, and I know this is an idealistic thought, but give me some room here. It just leads us to wonder what would happen to our social structure, structure if just one day our entire society was called on to tell the truth just for a day. Just for a day. You can you imagine the businesses that would ch- have to change their protocol and their approach to uh, to their employees and their customers and things of that nature. I, and again, I'm not implying that everybody in these fields uh, are liars, but we certainly know that lying and deception is a, is so grossly affected these areas of our lives, and it touches all of us where we are. And so, looking at our text here this evening and kind of bringing this into a church. Uh, setting uh, the the custom of swearing oaths was just a part, it was a part, not a small part, but a major part of life in biblical times. And it eventually became an issue in the church, and I'll explain why. Since swearing oaths was an integral part of Jewish culture, now we know that after the day of Pentecost, that the Baptism of the Holy Ghost was poured out upon some Jews and obviously some Gentiles, but um, as it, in that day, just like it is in this day, that if we're not careful, we can bring some worldly cultures into the church. And so this is exactly what James is addressing. He's not a man without a mission. He's not a man on a tangent. He's not a man that's on, on some kind of run, a runaway ramp of some sort. He is actually dealing with a true issue that was in the church. And so these Jewish believers that had been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost have brought this practice of swearing oaths into the church. And so, uh, but in reality, what James is saying, and I guess what the Lord is saying and what I'm saying tonight, that that among true born-again believers, we should not have to swear upon anything. Our word should absolutely be our bond. Many years ago, and please forgive me for not remembering the numbers exactly, but uh, many years ago I read an article about Sam Walton and um, and it was certainly after his days of success, uh, Sam Walton was making um, a, a huge transaction involving uh, several million dollars, if not even a, a couple of hundred million dollars. And um, he was making this transaction among a trusted friend. 
And so rather than get attorneys involved, these two men simply shook hands. And attorneys on either side of the fence are almost to die because you can't do this. This is, this, this is too risky. But these two men who were men of their word understood the value of a handshake and the value of, of, of honesty. And um, the article went on to say, this is no slam against attorneys at all, but the article went on to say of how many, how many hundreds of, uh, how many thousands of dollars were saved in attorney's fees just because two men could trust one another. And so today we sign contracts, we bind everything that we can, and you still have to be very, very careful um, you have to be very careful. Uh, we had a family friend after the storm uh, that came through. Their insurance company sent them um, the uh, the ability to, or the latitude, I suppose, to to take four months of their payments off, just uh, of your mortgage, of their mortgage, and you could just have a little four-month reprieve. And when she got to reading the fine print on the fourth month, you had to have every one of your payments in full. And so what looked like we're going to put our arm around you and really do you a favor, I mean, you know, you've been through this storm and you've lost this and you've lost that was really a ploy. <laughs> Isn't it a shame? It, that's just a shame. And so that's just the world that we're living in. And uh, I'm going to get you as sad as I possibly can and we're just going to dismiss just going to leave you in this, <laughs> in this bloody condition. But it shouldn't be necessary. And that's what James was saying. This shouldn't be necessary. And so as such, our speech ought to be laced with honesty. What we say, we, we shouldn't have to keep up with that at all. Our lives should demonstrate integrity and credibility everywhere we go, whatever we do, uh, business transactions, large or small. It's amazing, isn't it? If, if someone hands you back just too much change and you hand them back, they, they look at you like you're an alien. Because in our world, people, they're accustomed to them. Somebody just saying, well, just too bad, so sad. And, uh, and there's probably some in the Christian ranks that kind of look up and say, well, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I just thought of that. I just absolutely thought of that. But, but for believers, for believers, a simple yes or a simple no, that should just seal it. That should be... It, all that's necessary because we're faithful to keep our word. So in, to encourage uh, believers to be distinctive in their walk and in their matter of speaking the truth, James issues a command in regard to swearing. So um, here, let's just get started here. James 5 and 12, I know some of you thought we already were started, but we're just getting started. James 5 and 12, the Bible says, but above all things, brethren, and so what James does with just this one phrase is he takes everything out and sets it on us above all things. Let's talk about this important thing, above all things. The command of verse 12, uh, and, and uh, here, here as, he, as he begins to close out, and, uh, and actually we are closing out of the book of James. And so as, as James now starts in these parting passages he starts closing out this epistle, bringing his letter to a close. He's giving some kind of final wrap-up thoughts and touches on 
some very, very important concluding matters. And so I don't want you to think tonight just because it's only one verse that we could just dismiss this as being unimportant. But the phrase, above all else, kind of sets this apart, makes it paramount. And uh, I think it, it ought to be apparent by now that James is really hung up, or, or at least James is really underlining the importance of our speech. Speech is a very important thing. If we haven't, got, if we haven't garnered anything else out of this study, we ought to understand one thing, that James has really focused in on our speech. In every chapter of this book so far, there has been a reference to speech. In chapter one, we are admonished to bridle our tongue. In chapter two, we are admonished to speak and act as those that would be judged by the law and to be very careful. Again, that is bridling our tongue. A lengthy passage in chapter three, James noted the difficulty of controlling the tongue and how that you can guide ships and horses and things of that nature and it's a difficult thing to control the tongue. In chapter four, he exhorts us to not speak evil of anybody, not to speak evil certainly of one another. And so it's only fitting then that we find ourselves in the fifth chapter as he closes out this book and uh, or begins to close out this book and he is again focusing on our speech, what we say. And so he does it because our words are revealing. Words are very, very telling. They tell what's on and in our heart. And so it's so important that we understand because it is a real um, barometer of our, as our, our spiritual state. Uh, people sin more with their tongue than in any other way, more with their tongue. And you know what? Not one person, no one person is capable of doing everything. There's no one person in the world that's capable of doing everything, but anyone can say anything. While we can't do everything, everyone in the world is capable of saying anything. I don't want to embarrass you tonight. I don't want to embarrass myself, but have you ever opened your mouth and something just flew out you didn't know was there? And I'm not just talking about curse words and things of that nature, but I'm just saying just, just, just something just flew out and you didn't even realize it was there. Sister Deborah Sloth, many years ago now, said something that was very funny to my wife and I, and we've, we've held on to that, uh, this for several years now, and, and uh, she was getting a little bit older, Sister Deborah was, and she said, I opened my mouth the other day and my mother flew out. <laughs> I think we understand that, don't we? I opened my mouth and my mother flew out, and there it was. I didn't even know it was there, and so we have to be very careful. So it's little wonder then that Jesus declared out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The heart, there's this storehouse where people's words are there and those words reveal who we are, what we are. In, in another portion of this, James says, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath. In this context, to swear is not a reference to Swearing as we may know it today, not bad language. Uh, instead, he refers to the uh, the issue of taking an oath. Again, I want to go back to the to the culture, to the day, and, and to why we're even discussing it in the Book of James. The Jews of this day had developed a pretty complex system 
of swearing oaths. As I stated earlier, these influences now are filtering their way into the church. And uh, as often happens, and it was the abuse of that system that James is addressing. The Jewish system of swearing oath had its roots all the way back into the Old Testament, of course, it was a time when written contracts didn't exist and things of that nature, and so uh, they're bringing this. It had its root. Fundamentally, it comes from the Old Testament. Oath served as a way to bind agreements. It served as a way to forge friendships and things of that nature. But to take an oath was to attest that whatever this person says is the truth. Furthermore, to call God to witness that oath was to invoke the punishment uh, if the word of that oath was violated. If we were, if we were swearing to God, if we were to break that, uh, then we we are doing a very serious thing to invoke the name of the Lord. That was a serious matter. Now, the Bible does not altogether forbid the taking of oaths. Uh, we have to acknowledge that we are, we're living in a world that's full of untruth, as I mentioned in my opening comments. And so there are times when an oath is necessary. And, uh, and there are times when an oath is necessary and not wrong. Uh, for instance, if you're taking an oath, I mentioned it a moment ago, when you're testifying in court, there's nothing wrong with taking an oath. Do you solemnly swear to tell this truth? Are you going to tell the truth? There's nothing wrong with that, that we would take an oath that whatever I say is going to be right. If you're being commissioned into the military, for instance, or uh, other facets, uh, even in law enforcement and things of that nature, if you're being commissioned into that, there's nothing wrong with taking an oath that you are going to do. Uh, physicians take an oath. Uh, they commit themselves to the law of, of medicine and things of that nature. When you get married, you're taking an oath. And so not every, every oath is wrong. And so oaths are wrong when they're misused. Oaths are wrong when we intend to deceive others or perhaps when we take them lightly without any forethought. We promise to do something or we commit ourselves to do something and we're kind of flippant about that and never think about it again. The Bible is filled with godly examples of, uh, of many examples of godly people that made oaths. Uh, the Bible records instances where the Lord himself had taken an oath. In Genesis 21, Abraham took an, an oath to validate his claim that he had dug a certain well. Later, Isaac made a similar oath with the Philistines in Genesis 26. In Genesis 24, Abraham required his servant to make an oath with him. He said, place your hand under my thigh and, and you swear to me this day that you will not, that you will not take a bride for Isaac out of the Can out of Canaan. And uh, so he said, I want you to swear to me. You take this oath. Joshua records the oath that was given to Rahab by the two spies that she hid on her roof. And so again and again, we just find oaths all throughout the Bible. David swore oaths to Jonathan and, and kept them and to, uh, to Saul and kept them. The apostle Paul took a vow to God. And so because all of these, uh, these oaths invokes God's name, they were not to be taken lightly and they were not taken lightly. The book of Numbers chapter 30 and verse number two, the scripture says, if a man vow a vow unto the Lord or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to all that proceedeth 
out of his mouth. And so whatever, whatever proceeds out of our mouth, that's exactly what we should, be, we should stand behind. And to fail to do so is taking the name of the Lord in vain. Further evidence that swearing oaths is not wrong is, and under proper circumstances comes from the Lord himself who had sworn oaths. He didn't do so because there was a question of his untruthfulness. <laughs> the Lord is not tr- trying to swear so that he can kind of validate, I'm not lying. But the Lord was making an oath through the spirit of humility to become a lesson for all of us. Amen. For men to follow. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13, for when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. And he, again, this was not a question of his integrity, but it was an example for each and every one of us, saying, surely blessing, surely blessing, I will bless thee and multiply, multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so in light of biblical evidence, James's command not to swear must not be viewed as a ban or a prohibition against taking an oath. Oaths were permitted on serious case occasions, but only in the name of the, of the Lord. And so James therefore doesn't uh, forbid swearing in the name of the Lord or uh, by heaven or earth or any other oath. Amen. This, but by he was rather he didn't forbid swearing in the name of the Lord, but he was forbidding them to swear in the name of other things. The source of James's ban is found in the, the teaching of Jesus Himself in the book of Matthew chapter five. I'm gonna turn there and read just a couple of scriptures. He said, again, you have heard that it hath been said of, it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oath. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, uh, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these, these cometh of evil. Amen. Let your communication be yes, yes, no, no. Amen. And so that's it's an important passage of scripture because it speaks to the very heart of the issue. Jesus begins by saying, it has been said by them, them of old time. The them, the them that Jesus is referring to is the rabbis. Amen. The thing that had been heard was not a teaching of scripture, but it was a tradition of the rabbis. And so the thing that he is referencing is this phrase, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. And so at face value, if we were just to consider this at face value, this appears to be in harmony with the Old Testament teaching regarding the sacredness of taking oaths. Amen. But in truth, this was a loophole that these Jewish Christians were exercising without any embarrassment at all. Now just stay with me for a moment. What they were saying was only the oaths that were binding were the oaths of the Lord or the name of the Lord. So in their thinking, in their thinking, God was only a party to an oath if his name was invoked. 
All other oaths they taught could be invoked without committing any wrong. We can just do this and we're not committing any wrong. Or in other words, if we could kind of bring this into a more modern setting, it would, uh, I'm sure maybe when you were a child, you've heard uh, people say, well, I, but you, you promised me this. And they would say, yeah, but I have my fingers crossed. They, they found some, you know, some little loophole. You ever been around people, you know, they, they didn't have their fingers crossed. We had to make sure they didn't have their legs crossed. Because they were just trying to find some little way. I want to tell you this, but I don't really mean this because I found me a way to kind of work around the heart of the matter because truth was not very important to them at all. And so it was their attempt to deceive others. Many, many in their attempt to deceive others, many of them would swear by heaven or swear by Jerusalem or swear by the temple, etc. anything but the name of the Lord. And so when people just hear them swear by something, you follow me now? We just kind of hear this oath, this commitment, and it just sounds true. It just sounds believable. But it was just a smokescreen. It was intended to, to divert their attention and to, uh, and to just hide the lies in their hearts. It was, it was, uh, it was just all something, you know, You've heard the saying that the hand is faster than the eye. And uh, there, are, uh, there are certainly people that are just working by deception. And, uh, and so in Matthew, Jesus condemned the Jewish religious leaders and he, he was criticizing this uh, uh, hypocritical uh, form of living. In Matthew 23 and verse 21, <clears throat> the Bible says, And whoso shall swear by the temple sweareth by it and him that dwelleth therein and he shall and he that shall swear by heaven sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon now despite what despite what the rabbis may have thought or intended God regarded their oaths as binding and he judged them for not keeping their word because they were being deceived but being deceptive but God saw the thought and the intent of their heart now, I believe that the same God we're reading about here in Matthew and in James and all of these other passages of Scripture is the same God we're serving today. Is that a fair statement? Amen. And so when we cross our fingers or cross our legs or we, we sort of somehow have created some kind of diversion or smokescreen, we're not fooling God because God sees the thought and the intent of our heart. That's the power of this book, amen, the Bible, amen. It, it pierces down into the flesh and it can divide and it is, a, it is a discerner of the thought and the intent of our heart to make promises that we know we are never going to fulfill, to overstate what we are going to do. I'm going to tell you something. The saddest thing that can happen to our testimony is for people around us to, to think of us or say of us, you can't believe one thing they say. I mean, if you tell somebody you're going to be there, you need to be there. If you can't be there, there we need to make provisions for that. But, but, uh, but is that is that all right? 
Amen. These things need to be said. I'm going to tell you, in the world that we're living in, they need to be said. The scripture says in James 5, 12, let your yea be yea and your nay be yea. Reiterating the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, he just calls for this simple, straightforward, honest speech. You just need to let your yes be yes and your no be no. No second guessing, no in the middle, uh, no smoke screen, no mirrors, no smoking glass and mirrors. Just, just let our... Lips be truthful, and what we say be right. Amen. So Christians should certainly be those when they're yes, when they say yes, that ought to mean yes. And you ought to be able to bank everything you have right there on that. Amen. People of integrity, we really should have no need to try to swear by anything elaborate. I heard someone say one time, I swear on my mother's grave. What makes you think you got to prop up all this stuff? Our word just ought to be our bond. We said we would do that. Amen, we should be able to do that. Again, Jesus nor James is prohibiting swearing oaths under special circumstances. But you know, just normal day-to-day circumstances, it ought to be unnecessary for us to keep saying, I'm telling the truth. I'm, I mean, I'm telling the truth. My wife has a statement sometimes she uses. She says, thou dost protest too much. I'm not saying she says that to me. I think that's what you thought. But I mean, you know, people that just drone on and on and on about certain things. You know, you ever met people, they just can't tell the whole world how much they love their wife or their husband. Or You know, after a while, it just kind of was like, what? Thou dost protest too much. Because sometimes we're trying to overstate something. You ever been around people, you're wondering who they're trying to, are you trying to convince me or yourself? (laughs) And uh, sometimes I think some people are trying to convince themselves, but we ought to be known as people that keep their word. People ought to want to form a line to do business with you and to do business with me, to have associations. There ought to be a line in order to do that because they know your yes is going to be yes and your no is going to be no. Having that kind of integrity that a simple yes would be enough. I have to write it down. Don't have to have to sign it in blood. It's just going to be enough. A few days ago, my wife and I were off for a little bit of time together, and we were in another state, riding down the interstate. Came over a hill on the, the interstate, and in the median, uh, there were maybe a half a dozen uh, highway patrolmen, and um, I, I wasn't doing anything wrong, and so I no need to panic. And uh, so we just kept going on down the road. And a little bit, I saw one of them pull out. Inevitably, he pulled in behind me and the lights came on. And, um, and he came over to my wife's side of the car and was just asking us kind of where we had been, what we were doing. And uh, so in a minute, he said, uh, Mr. Boyd, if you will, he said, I want you to, to come back here and get in my car. And he said, I'll explain to you what this is all about. And uh, I, I, I thought that was a little odd, but uh, unorthodox it may not be at all. I haven't been stopped enough, thankfully, to <laughs> know all the nuances of those things. But, but uh, I sat down in his car and, and uh, a little small talk began to go on. And uh, I, I, was, I, was, I was kind of overwhelmed by the peace that was in my heart. 
because I knew I wasn't wrong. I, I knew I had done nothing wrong. And I knew that whatever he asked me, I could answer him. So where'd you spend the night last night? I knew I could answer that question and I could show him a motel receipt for that. And there was a peace that came over my heart even though that wasn't the most peaceful peaceful place to be. But, uh, and there was a, I read a quote many years ago and this quote came to me while I was sitting in the patrol car. And this quote says, people with nothing to hide, hide nothing. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Here, it's all right here. And I thought what an uncomfortable place that would have been. Oh, I'm, I'm being very serious. I, I, I've said many times, I guess preachers are looking for sermons everywhere, even the front seat of a patrol car. <laughs> but I thought what a precarious spot this would be in if you had been up to no good. Because you're probably not going to get out of this situation. But I felt like in just a few moments, just a few moments of talking, a man in that position understood quickly, I believe, Somebody in the people business understood right away that this was all right. And, uh, and so he just was a routine stop uh, just to kind of finish the story. I didn't get a ticket or anything of that nature. And, uh, but he wished us well, and away we went. But it was a peaceful, comforting feeling to know that all you need to do here is just tell the truth. And you can validate everything. And just suppose you just robbed a bank. Just suppose you'd just done something wrong. The lies are going to start stacking up at a tremendous rate. And it's just not going to work. It's not going to be a fitful outcome. The Bible says in James 5 and 12, the very last phrase of this scripture says, lest you fall into condemnation. As a motivation against swearing false oaths, James points out the consequences of violating them. He said those who do so, he warns, are going to fall into condemnation. Now, the Mosaic law, the, the law of Moses warned in Exodus 20 and 7, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. You know, the scripture talks about hell. A lot, a lot of descriptions are given to us about hell. But do you know, the Bible makes specifically known that liars will have their place in hell. There's a tremendous emphasis in scripture upon truth and honesty and integrity. The heart of, of James 5 and 12 is not that you shouldn't take a promise. It's not that you shouldn't swear an oath, even though some have taken it to believe that through or mean that through the years. James's point is pretty simple. In a dishonest world, those who profess to be filled with the Holy Ghost should be marked by their honesty. People should know by our honesty. And so the idea that that you could swear to something but not be held to your word simply because you invoke something other than the name of God simply because your words were just a little bit slick is a ludicrous proposition that wraps 
uh, a lie into the trappings of a promise. We're just going to do this, but we've just worded it in such a way that we've fooled you and we've tricked you and, and the wording of all of these things. The truth is that this is the bottom line. We should keep our word. No matter how it's packaged, no matter to whom we give it, if we say we're going to do something, we, we should do that. Amen. That is the abomination from James, simply to be honest. And so in a world filled with half-truths, in a world filled with lies, our honesty stands as a shining testimony to the truth of God in our lives. And so you know what? We can get all the externals just right, and I believe that they ought to be just right. But if we don't have this right, this is not going to be right, and our speech is going to betray us. You remember in scripture when, when the speech, when those that could not pronounce, the, say the difference between shibboleth and sibboleth, their speech betrayed them and our, our speech will betray us. Charles Spurgeon said this and I say in closing, I will ask you to stand. Musicians, you can just stay where you are if you'd like. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, when a man knows he is telling you the truth, everything about him corroborates his sincerity. Everything. Any accomplished cross-examining lawyer, he says, knows within just a little while whether a witness is genuine or a deceiver. And this is why. He said truth has her own air. Truth has her own manner. Truth has her own tone. And truth has her own emphasis. There's just something about truth our demeanor gives us away. David said in the, in the 15th Psalm, in verse 4, David mentions this very, very unusual phrase, and he talks about people swearing to their own hurt. I think just let that marinate just a moment. Swearing to their own hurt. Sometimes the truth is painful. And sometimes the truth is costly. Swearing to your own hurt. I'm going to keep my word. It's going to cost me. Maybe some things were here. I didn't, I didn't really see that signed a contract and I promised we would we would do this and I and I've unveiled something here I didn't see that but rather than try to lie and finagle away out of this contract and find some little flaw or some loophole I have sworn to my own hurt almost I don't know uh, 26 7 years ago uh, we had a, a the very first church van we ever bought. It was a used van, needed a paint job. And, and I went to a local paint and body shop and somehow in the course of our conversation, there was a misunderstanding. And uh, the man who owned the, actually the man who owned the body shop came out to give the estimate that day. And, and, uh, and so we, there was a, a gross misunderstanding. I didn't know uh, what a van paint jobs had called, so I was as blind as blind could be. And, and uh, so somehow in the course of all this, I had mentioned that we wanted to make sure that the 
that uh, the top of the van was painted, if I remember how the story goes, and that the door jams and then things of that nature were painted. He gives me a prize for that. And somehow in his mind, he thought that's all we wanted painted. And so a few weeks later, he calls me, the van's ready. I go to pick it up, and the only thing that's painted is the top of the van, the inside of the door jam. So it's like Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> I don't know what to do here. It was the most awkward moment, as you can imagine. So I walked in, and, and I told him, I said, you know, somehow there's been a misunderstanding, and this is what we wanted. And, he, and so, uh, you know, he said, well, I'm, I'm, let me, you know, just, just figure this out. And, and so he didn't get out of the way at all. And, and, uh, and I just kept saying to him, I said, look, we're two grown men. We can figure this out. I mean, it's just, just a misunderstanding. Somehow, let's just, we'll just work through. And so he goes back in the back, and he's, I don't know what he's doing in the back, but his wife finally comes out in a little bit. She said, sir, you are really handling this well. And I said, well, we're just two grown men. We've had a misunderstanding here. And the minute he comes back in, he said, I'm going to paint the whole van for the price I told you. I said, no, no, no. We're not going to do that. That's not, that's not, that's not fair. That's, I don't think that's just. You, you made an honest, honest mistake. We've just had a misunderstanding. And you know what? He would not have it any other way. He said, I told you what I would charge you. And that's all I'm going to charge you. Now, I, I, I admired that man. And, and we, had, we became friends. As a matter of fact, I preached his funeral. That man swore to his own hurt. It was a misunderstanding, he said, but I, I got to own that. I said this is what I would do. Now, I didn't really agree with that because I thought it was clearly misunderstanding, but I'm just using an illustration that sometimes, that somewhere he dug into his own wallet, his own coffers, but he was a man, apparently a man of integrity that said, this is what I said we would do and this is what we're going to do. And so I would say this today, that if someone who doesn't even profess to know the Lord can walk by that kind of integrity, then you and I must not, should not have any trouble at all saying, Lord, help me today. Amen. I want to, don't overpromise. I don't want to say I can do more than I can do. Help me. To, but if I ever do, Lord, help me to be a man of my word, even if I have to swear to my own hurt. Amen. You've been very kind and patient, and I appreciate that. And I can't tell you enough. My vocabulary is certainly, certainly too small to tell you how much I love you. This is what Wednesday night's all about. I want to find out how to make heaven my home. Amen. I love shouting and dancing and praising and worshiping, and I, nobody loves that any more than me. But I want to tell you something. If we, if we're going to, we can dance over some principles. And, uh, and be lost in the end. So let's, from time to time, it's good just sit down and warm our hands and our hearts over the central truths of God's word. Amen. Let's ask God to touch this word to our heart. Lord, I love you today. I thank you for this wonderful congregation. I'm very, very honored to serve. And I ask you tonight, Lord, to bless us and touch us and strengthen us and help us in our endeavor to be more like you. We're just trying to be more like you. And I know, God, that's a process, and it's a daily process. And so I'm asking you again today 
to touch our hearts and our lives and strengthen us. And in a world that thinks nothing of dishonesty and in a world that thinks nothing of, dis- of shades of deception, I pray, God, that you'll help us to be very, very clear about what is right and what is wrong. And let the power of the Holy Ghost strengthen us today and anoint us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.